Alright everybody, welcome in another edition of Concrete Jungle, New York Baseball Podcast. I am Paul Russo, coming to you guys live from the third floor of North Park Building, SenegaFallsFingerLakes1.com. Kyle Evans, as always, alongside of me, producer extraordinaire Nate Sharman, man the controls. You, as always, will hear his voice at various points throughout the podcast. Uh, collectively, boys, good to have some decent weather. Baseball weather, pretty much. Golf weather, in Nate's case. And, um, yeah, good, good, pretty good weekend overall, I'd say, for, for our New York teams. And, um, couldn't ask for at least the, uh, we'll, we'll call it gameplay, gameplay wise, because we'll obviously we'll jump into all the, uh, the other stuff there as well. But gameplay wise, pretty, pretty good stuff overall from our, uh, major league squads and, um, you know the minor league teams seem to be finding their uh, their identities for sure at this point. Um, maybe not fully, but certainly trying to figure themselves out a little bit. And uh, we will jump into all that. But uh, good weekend overall for you, Kyle. How, oh yeah, how was it? I love the weather. Back to back days. I mean, it wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Just perfect. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you know, all four teams that we discuss on this podcast have actually been playing pretty well at the same time. Yeah. So it's good to see. Nate, all good over there for you. How was it? Yeah, I was able to play golf, able to go to the uh, Genesee Brewery in the afternoon yesterday, so a perfect Sunday in uh, my sense. boy, Nice. All right, let's um, lots to kind of get to, a lot to dissect a little bit. Uh, we'll jump right on in. We'll start. Uh, we'll go with the Yankees this time, start with the Mets last Thursday, or Friday, rather. Uh, so we'll jump right on in with the Yankees this time around. Um, look, big. it was a big sweep. I This was a series that on Friday I, I completely I wouldn't say completely wrote off uh, but I certainly was not expecting a, a sweep by the Yankees uh, but they went ahead and they did it you know you kind of predicted a little bit over there Kyle but um, uh, overall like I said I, I think gameplay wise the on the field stuff um, this was a, a really good confidence boosting weekend especially for the offense overall Um We'll jump into just a second. Obviously, the Saturday stuff when we discuss Saturday. Let's start with Friday, though. 4-1 Yankee victory over Cleveland. Uh, first win on the year for Tyone. Uh, now moves to 1-1 with 3.07 ERA. Eli Morgan took the loss for Cleveland. He also moves to 1-1, but with a 5.00 ERA. His ERA actually did go down <laughs> that game. Uh, but Eli Morgan, obviously a different discussion for a different podcast. He's uh, one of the more promising young pitchers to, to watch for collectively in the MLB. Um, so that will probably be a nice, fun uh, matchup as the years progress here. And then uh, Chapman picks up his fourth save on the year. Um, he's looked really good uh, when they've given him the ball here the past couple times, I've thought. It's it, it's it's tough because uh, I, we discussed it a little bit uh, pretty much a week ago, Kyle, about how... Um, you know, I understand if something's not working out, you might want to try something different, but to that degree, you can't completely write off a guy. Um, this was a, a pretty positive collective week for Chapman, uh, gets the confidence back a little bit, stuff like that. Um, before we again, jump into kind of that a little bit, uh, top performers for the Yankees, James Tyone goes five innings, seven hits, one earned run, five strikeouts. Uh, however, potentially player of the game was probably Michael King for the Yankees. Uh, three innings, just gave up one hit and eight strikeouts for the young righty. Um, now a lot of people are kind of asking, and we will kind of tee up the question a little bit as well about him 
do we move him to the rotation? Do do we keep him as is? We'll kind of jump to that a little bit. Uh, and then Aaron Judge, two for three, two home runs, a walk, three RBIs, and two runs. So uh, the Friday game, close game, but uh, a lot to be, um, I'd say, on the positive end of things about with that game. Um, like I said, I think collectively it was a really good game for the Yankees uh, in terms of confidence boosting for guys who needed it. Say a guy like Tyone, a guy like Judge, and obviously Chapman. Um, you know, obviously I think um, th- there's been a lot of discussion, I guess, with Chapman. You know, is, is he moving forward the guy for the Yankees? Uh, I, I still think for the year, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's still a pretty proven commodity. Uh, throws hard. But uh, kind of go back to what I said last week. I, in order to boost him up, you got you got to give him the ball and the opportunities, and that's what they did. And he, he was able to capitalize on in in this situation. Yeah, he's a very streaky closer, but at the same point, when he's on, he's on, and he's basically unhittable. And yeah, he does have those rough stretches, and you know, obviously in the postseason, he struggled the past few years. But I don't think uh, Yankee fans should give up on him just right. yet. And then, um, yeah, let's jump into this Michael King situation here a little bit. I call the situation because I think the general fan base is making it a bigger deal than it is um, to a degree. Look, I love Michael King. Uh, he was not, he was brought up technically as a starter. I, I do want to go ahead and preface it that way. This was a guy who, um, in the prospect pool, was a starter. Uh, that being said, gets to the big leagues, and he's kind of now found this role in the bullpen. Um, look, I'd be all for maybe moving him back to a starter, or maybe he is our next closer, which I think is more plausible than the starter situation. I think where a lot of people get get maybe clouded memory or just a bit of a foggy decision making and I'm gonna age myself here a little bit between you two unfortunately with this um I remember when the Yankees kind of had this deal going on it was a bit of a similar situation in a way with pretty much four pitchers all collectively not at the same time but it was within the same two and a half season long window with Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, Ian Kennedy, and Ross Ollendorf. Um, all four were, were, and this was, you know, the last really, as I call it, the great prospect pool up until the last go-around with, with like, Judge, Torres, and that group. Um, this was the main group. And they all, <clears throat> it's weird because I think the one who probably had the best career collectively might be Ian Kennedy in a weird way. Uh, but... Um, all of them were brought up as starters within the pool, within the prospect pool. They get to the big leagues, and they all kind of end up shifting different ways. And the Yankees at the time, uh, you know, Mel Stolmeyer, um, great baseball mind, I think wasn't too sure what to kind of do with them. Nor was this was also a period of transition, right? We we're kind of moving on from the Tory years to to the Girardi years, and you had a lot of um, different in battling combative ideas amongst people but they, they've messed around with them all four of them uh going between bullpen and and starting rotation obviously especially for Ollendorf and Kennedy they really ended up being with the Yankees really for pretty much half seasons and full seasons in their respective regards nonetheless uh the Yankees used both of them more or less as trade bait and and kept Hughes and, and Jabba for more or less the long haul but but both for for them at that point found holds in different ways. Hughes ends up becoming 
for about a season and a half, two seasons, the Yankees' best or second best starter, really, at one point from 2011 and 2012 stretch. Um, Jabba becomes a pretty steady bullpen arm for the Yankees for a handful of years before finishing his career in Detroit. Um, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm cautionary because I remember those times in my Yankee fandom. Um, like I said, I know you guys are a little bit take younger than me, so you probably don't fully remember that era. It just, if we do this with King and there's a couple other guys that, that, they, that have been rumored that they want to try it with, I, I just, I, I worry about it. I'm not a big fan of, of moving guys around like that because you don't, you struggle to find your footing and you struggle to find pace. At that point, you, the arm health does become concerning, at least in my mind. So um, I, I prefer him to probably keep King in the bullpen at this point and maybe do, you do groom him for the closer role. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, get a spot start here and there. Right, sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's pitching so well. He's looked really, really good. One, I think, honestly, probably the best reliever out there right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you can really trust him in any situation. And I just feel like, why pull him out of there? Like, right. why? And I mean, and think about it. Who are you taking out of the rotation right now? I mean, they, the, the rotation, what, is second in ERA right now in the American League? Yeah, I mean, I mean all things considered, this rotation has been – pretty much carried by really the back end of, you know, what's become Cortez and Montgomery. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're this Yankee team. I mean, like you mentioned, I don't want to get too, too far off what you're saying, but the Yankees team is, is 10 and six and first in the AL East uh, because the way the weekend played out. So it, it's been a collectively chaotic scene, I'd say in the AL East and with the Yankees. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that rotation's solid enough and, and they're showing their worth in that sense. Yeah, I know Michael King has said that he likes being a starter, and Aaron Boone was asked about it the other day, and he mm-hmm. said, you know, we really don't want to push the move right now. Right. There's no need to do it, and I agree with him. Mm-hmm. So so let's now move on to Saturday's game, a 5-4 Yankee win, walk-off win. Uh, Miguel Castro picks up his first win as a Yankee. Uh, the bullpen, uh, Emmanuel Classe picks up the loss. Uh, a bit of a rough stretch for Classe, all-star last year. Um Probably the best closer collectively last year, even. Uh, just started the year off rough so far. Uh, Cortez went six and a third, gave a hit, two earned eight strikeouts. Donaldson, uh, nice game for him. I mean, good at good at bats throughout the whole game. One for two, a home run, two walks, RBI, and run. And then Connor Falefa, two for four, uh, double, two RBI. Gleyber Torres, obviously, with the walk-off single. But uh, unfortunately, what is the main storyline from that game and really the weekend as a whole for the Yankees is what happened at the end of the game with the fans. Um, so Stephen Kwan, uh, really tremendous uh, start for the year for this rookie for Cleveland. Um, crashed into the wall trying to feel the ball, uh, trying to feel the ball from 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 Glaber and um, gets hurt. And fans start more or less mocking him. At the time, I had heard there might have been some racial epithets as well thrown I, I, I that's become at least from what i've read pretty uns, unsubstantiated either way what was said did irk miles straw um he scaled the fence started going out with the fans fans put up some level on language and, and vulgarities as well as um signs as well uh, and then the fans start throwing trash on the field um a lot of this, for me, I, I go back to where I kind of stand with some NBA. In the NBA, you see it a lot more often just because of the, 
I call proximity to the action, where you see players and fans interacting more, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, it's it, it was a tough scene. Nate, I'm going to toss it to you actually on this one because you, you did actually, in my mind, put it pretty well over the weekend uh, when we were texting with each other. So... Um, yeah, there's just no room for it in any in any professional sports. Right. I know we had that we had that problems with with mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook early in the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. But the main thing that I kind of got out of it was kind of seeing the video after the fact with Judge and Stanton. Right. Um, you know, just having a walk off win. Both of them, at least at least both of them, ran out of the outfield mm-hmm. and they're urging fans, "No, this is not what we do." Yeah. So in my mind, something bad happened. Something must have happened. Yeah, I mean, in terms of something saying the wrong thing right. that really irked off straw and it's 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 interesting to me yeah um but there's no place in that in anything see and i see it as like embarrassing like right. yeah i agree well at the end of the day it is like the yeah. players shouldn't have to walk out there to calm down their own fans and tell them to stop throwing stuff out of the field mm. like that's just it's a bad look and it yeah. kind of ruined the walk off a little bit i mean they're in the middle of a celebration it, it tainted the whole weekend in my mind yeah. it, it really did um as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, you kudos really. I know Judge and Stan were the ones really doing the more calming, but credit to really both teams for kind of getting out there, protecting more or less one another at that point. Right. Um, this is this is. I mean, my brother calls it a hot take that I have, and maybe it kind of is, but this is where I I I kind of don't have a problem with players kind of at that point going back at it with fans. In essence, I mean, yeah. how would you like it? The way I've always equated this is, how would you like it if you're sitting at your job at your desk and some random guy just comes in and starts pelting you with something? The only thing I have with that, though, Paul, is that two wrongs don't make a right. No, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I, I don't disagree with that. But but if you're the fans at that point, you gotta accept whatever ramifications are coming back at you. You know, but at the same point, Miles Straw is actually pretty lucky that someone didn't swing at him or you know push him off the ledge. I've like Miles Straw. I've heard might be part of what I call the back alley team. So I don't. That's you know. the only reason why I really had a problem <laughs> with that. Is like, I mean, he really could have seriously got injured doing right. that. Like, right. and you don't know what a fan's gonna do, especially if they had some alcohol and you know they're well. Bleacher of, creatures do have. I mean, they're they are the signature. They are one of these signature fan groups in all of baseball. Is the Bleacher Creatures for the Yankees. And if you look at the that's replay, a, that's a rowdy group. Yeah, and if you look at the replay, the fan really is just sitting there, right in his face, not like trying to push him or anything, yeah. just you know going back and forth right. with him. But still, you never know what could happen. I don't know. I don't really like the fact that Straw, you know, climbed up there. But I get why he's frustrated. I get why you know he's you know you don't want anyone talking bad about your teammate, especially when he's hurt. So yeah, I get that. But the only thing I also run into too, Paul, with with see you saying fans have to take their ramifications, is that would it encourage it more from fans. You know, they get that screen time on television. They get the screen time on social. If a fan, you know, if a, a guy does go back on a fan, and whether it be physically or or, I, or whatnot, does that encourage it more? I think no? it depends. Yeah. I think it depends on the situation. So we do have another good example of this with the NBA. Really this past whole playoff with what's been going on with the pro. Well, yeah, they're 3-0 the and and protests. The quote protests. They're 3-0. Yeah, with Minnesota. Um Obviously, for them, yeah, they don't care about the ramifications because they are going for the publicity of it, right? Obviously, it's a little bit of a different, very much so a different situation, but uh, it is in this situation that there are similar paths, right? It's one person, fan or fan or not in this situation, right? It's a person doing something, an act considered one dangerous and two wrong right. to, to 
to do something, right? In their situation, right, they are guarding attention. In the Yankees situation or situations like that, in my mind, they aren't. It, it, in my mind, it's the mob mentality. Um, and it's, look, we, we see it. It usually happens not not in every sport uh, often, but someone that I think we see in the major four sports, usually once or twice a year, give or take, where this happens. Um I think the main one that's kind of sticks out to a lot of people, right, is the Browns back in like '99 when they got only over the last week of the regular season from the playoffs, and the fans are pelting beer bottles on the field. That's actually the reason why that that game itself is the reason why there's no glass bottles anymore at stadiums. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I, I know the other one that kind of sticks out pretty pretty big in my mind is the snowball incident a few years ago in Philly. Um, which tends to happen, I feel like, in Philly quite often. <laughs> you, have, you have it in the, with the Bills with Tom right. Brady. Yeah. You know, you have so, like an objects on like, the like I said, I mean, it's not in every sport where you see it every year, but it tends to happen. It pokes its head up in the Big Four at least once a year. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's – like I said, I, I, I don't think, obviously, a fan or a player should be going up or a fan, obviously, <laughs> should be – going up here and, and whipping or, or beating up each other. Right. But yeah, I, in this situation, I, I think people need to understand, like, look, this is, this is a, to a degree, a two-way street. I mean, I think what's good, I, I think the culture shock for a lot of us, and this is probably a different discussion in itself for a different day, is because of the malice in the palace, mm-hmm. right? It's the sticker shock value of something like that. That being said, the malice in the palace is such an outlier in of itself anyway because of the era that it was in basketball, the NBA at the time, compared to really the city of Detroit at the time kind of recognizing what they were and what they slash were becoming, that that was a, such a perfect or a perfect or an imperfect storm that occurred. I mean, up until that point, obviously players going in and fighting fans was a very limited thing. I think up until that point, the biggest example of that was the, I believe, the Bruins, right? Uh, the Boston Bruins? Yeah, I think, so, so. I think a fan went up. Yeah. Right. So, again, I, I, don't, I don't think it's right. I just think that people need to recognize if something were to happen at this point, I'd, I'd think it's right a two-way street. Um. I mean, that being said, this was such a good weekend of baseball that it, it has become part of the, the main storyline, which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, I just wanted to add that this isn't the only incident at Yankee Stadium over the past few years. Right. If you remember, Alex Verdugo got hit with a baseball standing yep. in left field. During the Rays and Yankees game, fans just started throwing baseballs from all different directions. Like, I don't know why Yankee fans act out of control like this, but I mean... Players, I would think if they're in the outfield, some players probably are a little scared they're going to get hit. And out, and being in the outfield, especially at any big league stadium, you are you're pretty by yourself. I mean, it, you really are kind of out on an island. Yeah, and when you got baseballs coming at your back when you're not even looking, right? Or I mean, it could hit you in the head. You don't know. Mm. Like it's just, I feel like some players that come to Yankee Stadium now kind of you know are a little worried for their safety. And 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 look, I this <laughs> I can't say much. I've I some of my favorite teams are wrapped in their own controversies for more serious matters. I'll call it. But 
I mean, these are situations where I look in the mirror like, do I really enjoy being a fan of this team? Because the Yankees were very silent on the whole matter. And that's, to me, pretty... <laughs> it's pretty telling. Yeah. I'm not a fan. Heiner Faliva had a good quote after the game, right? He said, we don't do this here. No, yeah, the players... The players were well, The good, players right? were out against it, right? And that's where... That goes back to my statement about how I'm very proud of the players the way they handled it, right? I have a problem where the team's not saying anything. Like, that's where I have the problem. Yeah. I guess the only thing they really did was bring extra security for Sunday's game. But why didn't they even announce it? Like, right. You just didn't hear anything. Right. Like, it's kind of it's kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd see a press release from the team on on socials. That's what I'm getting at, right? That, like, there needs to be a... And look, I mean, it's going to be just a corny-ass PR statement. I mean, it, 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 right, it's, it's your typical... It would be your typical, you know... It, this is not what we stand for, blah, 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 right? Something something like that, and apologies. We've reached out to the Guardians or something like that, right? At the end of the day, the Yankees didn't do anything. Hard. Yeah, I mean, still it, be better than nothing. Right, right. I mean, it, 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 the fact of the matter is, as you mentioned, you can step up security all you want. That's all fine and well. But, I mean, you're just that. that's just such a knee-jerk reactionary thing, right? It's like... Disco demolition or beer, ten cent beer night back in the seventies. Oh, you know, worked bad last time. Let's bring in more security. Like, nah, come on. Yeah, because you can still throw stuff from right. the stands. Security can't stop that. All right, we farped on not long enough. I think. <laughs> um, I think part of that, like I said, I think a lot of it's probably an overall different discussion for a different, different time. But like I said, I mean, it's, it was such a big storyline that we have to, we had to discuss it. And it, like I said, to me, it tainted the weekend. And just a reminder, yeah. not all Yankee fans are like that. Well, no, no. I, a lot of people have been calling out Yankee fans on Twitter, but I feel like like some Yankee fans are really good fans. Like It sucks that they're representing basically the entire fan base, and people just think Yankee fans, all of them are bad, when that's not the case. Right, right. I mean, we're all bad for different reasons, but... True. <laughs> anyway, uh, yesterday, obviously, Yankees complete the sweep, 10-2. to Victory, Garrett Cole gets his first win on the year. Great game for him. Obviously, big, big confidence-boosting win. Uh, Aaron Savalli takes the loss. He moves to 1-2 on the year. Garrett Cole, 6 and 2 thirds, 4 hits, 9 strikeouts. It's what he needed, right? Doctor ordered it. Um, and then uh, another good game for DJ, 3 for 4. Home run, double, 3 RBIs. Rizzo, another home run in a double as well. Just a great game overall for the Yankees yesterday. Yeah, and it's really good to see DJ LeMahieu <clears throat> return to his basically his 2019 form. I mean, he had a three-hit game yesterday. He's what is he on 11 game hitting streak, I think now. I don't know if it's 11 game it's, hit it's streak. I, th- I think it's I think it's I think it's for sure 11 reaching base safely or something like that. It's definitely a hitting streak, but I don't know if it's 10 or 11. Right. So, it's good to see. Yeah, yeah, perfect momentum boost to go into uh the toughest team in the AL at the moment somehow. Um Yankees off today. Uh, and then we have a three-game series in the Bronx against Baltimore. Uh, this Baltimore team, uh, sneaky good. I, I'd, I'd think, obviously, their offense is, is struggling, and I thought that would be their strong suit, but their pitching has been their strong suit somehow. Uh, really, their bullpen. So, uh, tomorrow, Jordan Lyles gets the uh, nod for the Orioles. He's 1-1, one one, a 3.52 ERA in the year. Luis Severino for the Yankees, 1-0, 2.08 ERA. Look to continue his Really uh, continued build up to get back to full form and, and confidence boost, but uh, he'll uh, have the opening game for the Yankees Wednesday, seven oh five 
Uh, Taylor uh, Wells, Tyler Wells for the Orioles. He's 0 2 on the year, 6.75 year against uh, Gumby, Jordan Montgomery. Still looking for his first one on the year, 0 1, but a uh, different story for him. I mean, he's 2.51 ERA, so really good. So No run support. Right. Yeah. Um, and then on Thursday, afternoon getaway game, 105. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman for the Orioles, 1 0, 1.20 ERA. His only win on the year coming against, oddly enough, the Yankees. Uh, against Jamison Tyone, one one obviously 3.075. All games can be seen on the Yes Network and local fan affiliates for those listening on the airwaves. Um, again, I, I I feel like this is probably would have been the series where they probably would sweep, but I think um, I think we're probably going to be two and one. I I just feel like poor Jordan Montgomery is not going to be able to get any run support still somehow. So yeah, you um, can't sweep every series, right. but. Really, I think it's disappointing if you can't sweep this series. Right, right. I think, um, yeah, as long as they take the take the series two to one, I'd I'd be pretty satisfied at this point. Obviously, this team has shown that they do have some life within them. Um, I, I still think that the issues are pretty glaring, and you know, just they they're. There's still a lot of work to be done overall. I I, I want to I I'm I, I'm trying to look at very much so a lot of the positives with this team so far this year albeit few at the moment still it feels like um but um i think you know this team the team has pieces i just i i just don't have the confidence in them to to kind of pull it together still yeah the thing is um if you look around the league all the numbers offensive numbers are down yeah so that's kind of also interesting too i mean there's no excuse for the yankees lineup to be as bad as they've been at times right. but like it's very interesting to see um, the league-wide offense down. Like clearly, the ball is something's different with the ball. Again, mm-hmm. it seems like they're always making changes without you know people really knowing. Right. It just dies if you really look at it. Like guys really squared up, and it just dies. Yeah, I think um, I think they've deadened the ball. I know they're going to, but I think they deadened it a bit more than they thought they were going to. Which isn't on MLB. To be fair, you can't really blame it. I guess on, on you know, Rollins is a ball manufacturer, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's been pretty wild to to watch. I think um, we're still trending on two out of every three or to three out of every four games on the betting side hitting the under. So, um, a lot of low. Yeah, I mean, games. I mean the numbers, the numbers back it up. I mean, numbers look at last night's Sunday night game, uh, one nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I mean, Eric Lauer had the game of his night of his life, <laughs> and. It helps having Angel Hernandez behind the plate, I suppose. <laughs> True. Anyway, back to the Mets. New York Mets, best team in baseball, twelve and five officially now, first in the NL East. Um, they won the series against Arizona. They did drop one. Start with Friday, six to five victory. Eddie Sugar Diaz picks up the win. Mark Melanson, the loss for the Diamondbacks. Seth Lugo picks up save number one on the year for the Mets for him. Your top performers, uh, Davey Peterson, again, really great job um, in the spot start. Uh, they were possibly thinking Taiwan Walker would be available for that game. He was not. Uh, I'm guessing he'll be back at some point this week, uh, presumably after their series against the Cardinals. Uh, but Peterson, five and two-thirds, three hits, and a run, three strikeouts. What you needed him to do. I mean, he's literally going out there, <clears throat> excuse me, and doing really well. Um, for, for the Mets in these situations. I just want to note yeah. <clears throat> that Diaz actually did blow the save in that game. Right. And uh, they were able to, you know, still find their way to yeah. a victory. So. He got the win by default. 
yep. as we would call it. Um, James McCann had a home run on Friday. He his, his bats, I wouldn't say fully coming around, but he's he's starting to show a little bit of pop within it. And then Brandon Nimmo uh, continuing his great start, two for five, double and two runs scored. Um, yeah, I, the, the, if anything's the biggest headline out Friday for the Mets is definitely the bullpen situation with with Diaz. Um, they're going to be, I, I, again, this kind of, it, it reminds me a lot of, I guess, in a way, the, the deal with Chapman, in a sense. Um, you know, I, I you certainly have to give the ball maybe to somebody else for a day, but but you can't completely, I think, take him out just, just, just yet. But I think they're at a bigger crossroads than, say, the Yankees are in the situation with Chapman. Um, something to f- certainly keep an eye on, I- I'd say. I mean, obviously, you-, you-, you brought over Diaz and you had to take the, the weight of Cano's contract in order to do it, uh, you know, three years ago now. But, um, you know, at what point do you just maybe turn to Lugo and say, all right, ball's yours? I mean, Lugo, you know what you get out of Lugo? He's he's a very good player. Um, nothing tremendously overpowering, but he's crafty. Um does really well with timing and, and messing up hitters timing. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a tough spot I think for Buck to kind of be in right now to make that decision. Um, but, and, and look, this is something that we, we, that we did talk about, you know, a little bit was, you know, if there's going to be a problem, it's probably going to be the bullpen. You know what you have to go ahead and grab and do. So blessing in disguise, maybe to a degree, but I think in the interim, Maybe you give Diaz a couple more opportunities, but if he if he blows it at this point, I think you probably do have to go figure something else out. Yeah, you just you don't really know what you you're gonna get from Diaz under or other than the point to the sky. Right. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did it again on that game tying home right. run in the ninth, and it's incredible. The guy crushed it, and he's going like this. Like, what are we doing? Not every ball hitting the air is an out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Saturday, uh, the Diamondbacks beat the Mets 5-2. Umberto Castellanos picks up the win for the Diamondbacks. Uh, this was a bullpen-ish game, as we'll call it, uh, for the Mets. Trevor Williams picked up his loss, second on the year, 9.82 ERA. Joe Mantiply picked up the save for Arizona. Uh, not a super ton of bright spots for the Mets, but there were some. Jeff McNeil, uh, nice day towards the bottom of the lineup. He went 2-3 over with a triple and RBI. Dom Smith had a double. And Tomas Nito uh, picking up the uh, spot uh, start for McCann behind the plate. Uh, went one for three with an RBI. Um, yeah, a bit of a bullpen-ish game. I, this was where, you know, as we mentioned, Saturday was TBA for, for both teams. It ended up being uh, pretty much bullpen games for both teams. Um, you know, Williams got the, the de facto start and did go two innings. Um but like I said, I, it was a tough spot for the Mets because they were I, they part of them I think did really expect Walker to pitch Friday, or at the very least Saturday, and he just wasn't. They didn't like what he what they saw down in St. Lucie, so uh, ended up being a bullpen game. And um, just like I said, tough tough spot. The offense just wasn't really there that game, and that's going to happen every now and then. But um, it was good to see, uh, like I said, McNeil have a, a nice day at the bottom of the lineup. Dom Smith and, and Nito kind of showing that the bats are still there for them. Anything from either of you two? Both of you kind of moved to the mic at the same time there. It was kind of weird. <laughs> uh, my thoughts is, I guess you could have 
called someone up from AAA to start that game, but really, if you look at the serious Mets pitching, yeah, uh, it's been very bad. I'll say so, who, Mike, uh, Mike Montgomery. <laughs> but clearly, they can't do what the Rays do and right. really go with an opener because they don't really. I mean, they didn't really have success doing it. Yeah, yeah. And then you got to piece together a bunch of you know relievers, and yeah. then I mean, you got game a game on Sunday too, so mm. it's tough. Yeah, it's been the game on Sunday, six to two, Mets win. Trevor May- Taylor Magill picks up another win. I always want to call him Trevor. It's all right. Musa 3-0 on the year, 2.35 ERA. Ace of the staff for the Mets. Uh, he really is. J.B. Wendelkin picks up the loss for the Diamondbacks. Magill, six and two-thirds, five hits, two and seven strikeouts. He's been really great to, to kind of see him so far. Usually the third spot, your third time time through the rotation, you kind of see where everybody's kind of at officially at that point. Pretty much we're, we're three weeks in, kind of can tell who's going to be where, who's going to actually be good and consistent. I think Mago, uh, this might be legitimate for him this year if you're doing it now a third time through the rotation like he has. Um, you know, J.D. Davis had a good game, home run, RBI. And Luis Guillaume went two for four with a double and two runs scored for the Mets. So, uh, again, another very positive weekend for the Mets. Um Again, as we talked a little bit last week, this isn't, uh, I guess, you know, the Mets that we're used to being part of memes or anything like that at this point. I mean, they are they are certainly walking with a different attitude, talking, excuse me, a different attitude. You know, this is a this is a different Mets team at this point. Yeah, three straight series wins with two of them coming against uh, Arizona. Mm-hmm. But, uh, tough, kind of a tough series coming up, I would think, mm-hmm. um, compared to some of their opponents that they faced early on. But... They're rolling. Yeah, yeah. That I'd say to a degree that's fair. Um, yeah. So you mentioned three games set at St. Louis starts tonight, seven forty-five. Uh, Max Scherzer three and 2 ERA against Miles Mikolas. Uh, he's one and zero at one point seven six ERA. So I think this is one of the years that Miles is probably going to be uh, decides to be good. Uh, Tomorrow night, Tuesday, 7.45, once again, Chris Bassett, 2-1-3.00 ERA against Jordan Hicks for the Cardinals. They brought him out of the closer spot this year officially. Yep, 1-1 one one on the year so far, 1.29 ERA. I totally missed that. I yeah. thought Hicks was still closing. Nope. Scherzer got to be one of the most fun pitchers to watch the MLB right now, right? It depends. I, like, I love watching him. I like watching him too, but he also frightens me. <laughs> so... And then Wednesday getaway game one fifteen, Cookie Carrasco one and zero on the year one point one point four seven ERA against Met legend Stephen Matz two and one five point two seven ERA. Uh, it was pretty cool seeing Stephen kind of find his footing once again, get get going a little bit. But all those games on SNY uh, to watch. I think Tuesday technically could be on TBS, but I think um, that's slightly blacked out up here. I, I saw an out of market game for that, but I'm not too sure what the deal is with it. So. I'm probably going to be wrong on this, but this is just a prediction. Sure. I think this is the first series they lose. It's, we'll see what um, happens. Yeah, I mean, they're I, due for a series loss. They're not going to win every series. but Yeah, I, I agree. I certainly agree, but um, I, I think they do get the series here. This Cardinals team, they're going to be good. I, I still think that they'll probably, if they if they don't win the NL Central, will get a wild card spot. But overall, that team doesn't fully excite me as it did like last year. Even for example, I think I'm a bit uneasy on their pitching. Yeah, they should win the series, obviously. But I mean, this is a six-game road trip. Right. They haven't lost a series yet. 
I don't know. I just see maybe a series loss that we didn't expect. No, no, that's fair. That's that's that would be classic baseball for the most part. Yep. I'd say. All right, let's move on to down the farm before we head on out here. Um, so this world world set up a little bit differently as we normally do. Um, so we'll just recap both teams, and then we'll jump into why. So Rochester uh, nine and nine, tied for fifth in the IL East right now. Uh, finished the series at Lehigh Valley two for four on the week. Uh, picked up a win on Friday, but lost both uh, Saturday and Sunday. Gave up 10 runs in both those games. Uh, they at least had eight on Saturday, but only one run of offense on Sunday. That being said, the offense is coming into its own for the most part. Um, again, bit bit tough to really call it, I'd say, with Sunday. But, you know, that being said, Nick Banks uh, now has enough at-bats. He's officially fifth in the International League in, in batting average, 353. Doing really well for himself, and Joey Manessis, uh kind of taking the charge on the power side of things so far for the for the Red Wings. Team leading three home runs and thirteen RBIs. You know that being said, again some moves with the parent club with Washington over the weekend kind of left the roster a little bit in a, in a stable spot um, in that regard. So tough. You know we we mentioned it last Thursday, Kyle, especially at the AAA level. It, it's tough because there's can be a lot of fluidity sometimes with the rosters. For example, they called up Aaron Sanchez, one of their starters, right. and perhaps maybe he could have started the Saturday or Sunday game, and you know they wouldn't have allowed 10 runs in both right. games. You just well, it, it did push, in the example of that, it did push Cavalli up to start yesterday yep. as opposed to his usual day of Tuesday. That's why, like you said, it's just tough in AAA. It's kind of hard to keep you know winning because there's just constantly moving parts. And you brought up a good point with Sanchez. He is the team leader in ERA. Um, and the pitching itself is is a collectively good unit, um, but nobody is taking the reins as a true, you know, workhorse ace type at least in rotation. Um, same thing with pitching; they didn't use Clippard Saturday or Sunday. Um, I'm not too sure um, what the deal is possibly there, but um, it, it's just tough because you know, like we said, I mean, fluidity wise, it, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, you know, I know they brought up oh, – I can't remember the name of, of the one reliever. They called him up um, during – right at the end of the week pretty much. But e- either way, I mean, this Rochester team at minimum has the pieces this year to be something special in my mind. I don't know about maybe best team in the International League East, uh, but compared to the way the past couple seasons of baseball for them have played out, certainly in the right direction. Yeah, I think they'll definitely be better record-wise than mm-hmm. the previous seasons. And, and a lot of it, too, is uh, credit to Matt LeCroy, former big leaguer, um, did have did play in Rochester himself at one point. So I think having a guy like that who who obviously pros pro and has played in the, in the city that he is managing at the minor league level is a huge plus for some of these guys. I think it's an underrated part of it. So let's look at the Syracuse Mets. 6-11. Still last in the International League East. But took six games, or rather five games, I apologize, against Wooster. How? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, just last week they were what, one in ten? One in ten. One in ten going into last now, week. <laughs> just being on paper, it just looks six and eleven. It looks crazy how, you know, 
they just been rolling all of a sudden. Like their offense is scoring runs. Their pitching has still struggled at times, mm-hmm. but the way their offense has been, they're actually carrying them to wins. And it's weird because we mentioned Thursday or Friday rather about how at the time they only had five players eligible for IL leading stuff, and they were all batting sub Mendoza line numbers outside of one in 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 uh, Rincon. Yeah, but all that changed over the the course of the final couple days of the weekend because Daniel Palka has now taken over most offensive leading categories. The only one he's not stolen bases. That being said. Team leading 286 average. He's officially now, I believe, ranked in the IL, or at least can be considered for it. Obviously, still fairly low. I mean, there's a guy, I say guy, he got called up over the weekend in Yankee legend Rob Refschneider with the Red Sox, who, who at the time was batting 400 with the Who Sox. Oh, wow. But um, I'm anticipating he'd probably be, he'll be called back down. I think that was just more or less up because they don't know what, what's going on with JD Martinez. Either way. Uh, but Palka, nine runs, five home runs, and 17 RBIs. So Palka is, is kind of figured this out now for the Espets. And you mentioned that's a big, big thing um, to get this offense going. That being said, Mike Montgomery appears to officially be the ace for the Espets for the at this point. The veteran left-hander. Yeah, uh, team leading 2.65 ERA, 16 strikeouts, and a nice 0.82 whip to go along with it. Um you know, obviously, we talk about minor leagues being a spot for prospects a lot of times, but uh, Mike Montgomery, um, a bit of, uh, I wouldn't say maybe just making sure I still have it type deal. You know, Mets signed him to a minor league deal for certainly depth purposes at that point, but um, look, he's shown that he's still got it, you know. Um, you know, certainly probably taking the ace role, and it, it's in a very important role at the minor leagues, especially AAA, it, it is the, the doormat for the big leagues, right? To have a guy like Mike Montgomery, big league, big league guy, to kind of take these young guys under his wing a little bit, show them, hey, this is how you be a pro, this is how you play the game, and show them, hey, this is what we got, and then also back it up by still having it and doing it on the field. Yeah, and I think if uh, Mets you know, needed someone because of an injury or or something pitching wise, I think he'd be one of the first ones right. they would probably call up. Mm-hmm. So now the reason why we didn't preview Rochester's weekends because well we have a renewal of the Thruway Cup officially now that both teams well really all three teams Buffalo Rochester and Syracuse have faced each other. This is the first series on the year that Syracuse and Rochester face off. Uh, first iteration this week at Frontier Field in Rochester. I thought you were going to say something, Nate. I apologize. <laughs> you got eagerly up to the mic on there. Oh, I'm just excited. I love going to Frontier yeah. Field. And you, I, if I was a betting man, I would say that you'll see Nate Sharman up there in the next uh, six games here. I certainly agree with that statement. As a betting man, Paul Russell will be making an appearance probably at Frontier as well. So Maybe a hot dog, possibly a Jenny Light. Maybe, Maybe I'll even get crazy, bat. have some peanuts. They have beer bats there this year again. So. Oh, they're back? Yeah. Yeah, I just love to hear that. <laughs> uh, so... Um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is this is quite literally. I, I think people kind of forget about this. This is about as classic as a rivalry as you can get in minor league baseball. These two teams have been a part of pro baseball pretty much since the iteration of it in, in the mid eighteen seventies to to mid eighteen eighties, where where stuff was forming and in, in, in that type of deal. Um, 
You know, this is uh this is a like I said, this is a classic rivalry. This is one of the games where quite quite literally the teams do travel by bus to each other. I mean, it's very old school in nature. It's fun to see you have a lot of usually fans and, and people from both sides traveling to these games. Um, that being said, quite on the promotional front for the most part, tomorrow night's two-for-one tickets, Thursday night's college night, uh, Saturday's autism awareness night. Uh, that being said, as, as Nate said, I, I'd probably see me or him there at some point over the week for it. Um, you know, this is, this is going to be an interesting game for, for both these teams. I think, you know... We, we talked really at the start of the podcast as a whole, as a, as a series or whatever you want to call it, that these were two teams that kind of mirrored each other the past couple of years, and they still do have a lot of similarities amongst each other. Um, kind of thought that maybe Rochester was for sure taking the corner at the start of the year and Syracuse wasn't. Uh, but this is a big series for both teams. It really is. Um I'd, I I think it's going to be tight. I think you'll probably see, I think personally you're going to see a 3-3 split this series. I was going to say um 4-2 uh for Rochester, but I could also see a split as well, especially cons- uh because Syracuse has been playing so well. Mm-hmm. Um it just with the way uh Rochester's offense is and Syracuse's pitching, I just feel like Rochester's going to have a pretty good series. All right. But we'll see anything can happen. All right. If we're all doing predictions, I'll also go with Kyle for two Rochester. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I I don't see either I don't foresee either team sweeping or anything dumb like that. <laughs> I but, would, I'll point to you that way. But we didn't see them take have the Mets taking five of six from the Red Sox. True. So true. That's very true. And also thought Rochester would show a, a little bit of a better leg against Lehigh Valley. Baseball so, is crazy. It's the best sport for a reason. <laughs> all right. Let's get out of here. Uh, Concrete Jungle, New York Baseball Podcast, every Monday and Thursday. Make sure you can watch live on YouTube, rewatch on there, also listen on Spotify and Anchor. Um, pretty sure that's pretty much it. Watch some baseball, folks. I mean, it's a really nice day today, still here on Monday. Um, should be, it's going to be interesting midweek, but, you know, towards the end of the week, we kind of at least get back to tolerable weather, as I call it. Yep. Um, kind of a lighter schedule tonight on the major league side, just because off days for teams right. and travel and stuff. But still, some games on. Uh, still have our Mets. <clears throat> All right, for Kyle Evans, producer Nate Sharman, I'm Paul Russo, New York Baseball Podcast here on FingerLakes1.com. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Catch us live again Thursday at eleven. If not, make sure you tune in on YouTube at Watchback and Spotify and Anchor. 